411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your When I hear of someone who is 90 years old or older, I think, wow, I bet they have some stories to tell. You know, I I can just imagine the changes they've seen in the world. And you can just imagine the lessons they've learned in their lives and the impact that they've had on other people. All of those things. Well, I am going to be talking to someone who has lived it, who can tell it, and who is a great storyteller. And this is a story, as you listen, you will hear, it's about resilience, activism, and an unwavering faith. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I am really, really excited about my guest today. I've known this man for a while. I see him at church. We wave hello. Um, But in preparing for this, I've learned things about him that I did not know. Very interesting things. So let me just bring him in. Let me introduce you to 95-year-old William Waddleton. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It is so great to see you. Thank you very much. It's good Uh, to be seen, right? Right. (laughs) And be alive. (laughs) Tell me, first of all, tell me why, why is it important for you to kind of tell your story? Uh, Well, I've been asked a lot of things and uh, I'm able to remember it Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm able to tell it. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of looking back at your life, like... Before I came to Milwaukee to work, you know, I got the job at Fox 6 as an anchor reporter. Before that, I was living in Huntsville, Alabama, Uh you know, doing the same thing in the same industry. Uh And then to find out that you were born in Alabama. Right. Anniston, Alabama. Anniston, Alabama. Uh And I've been to Anniston and Uh I know it well. Uh So that, that surprised me. That I felt like we had a little connection there. Uh, But then I go back and just kind of starting from the beginning. Okay, you were born in Anniston, Alabama, but your family co-founded a little city, a little town in Alabama, Hobson City. Alabama. Mm -hmm. And what I, as I was reading, I understand that it's Alabama's first self-governed all-black Right. Municipality. Right. And right. I think it was formed in a, or incorporated in 1899. 1899. Mm-hmm. Tell me, how did this happen? Uh, well, before that, uh, it was like a quarter. I think it was owned by the Indians. And uh, the white people didn't want any people live in Oxford. That was adjacent city to that. And most of the black live in this area uh quartered area and uh it was no government no uh, no kind of training and so what happened the people decided to get together they got more intelligent and more educated and they formed them a government in 1999 that's when they got the charter right but but it was named after richard 
person, Hobson. Okay. He was a army person, and they were doing the Spanish War, and. Uh, uh, then uh, after that, after become a corporation, and the city got their own government and uh, fully formed it anyway. They kind of trained people to do different things, and it wasn't self-government. And what happened, they, uh, uh, my family, which was uh, Lewis Wildson, well, I traced his foundation. Uh, what happened, he... He came from England to to South Carolina, and I don't know how he got to South Carolina to Hobson City, Alabama. But his daddy was a slave, and that's how he lived in Hobson City. And all of them was before the charter, eighteen ninety nine. They were farmers. All they could do is farm, and uh, they owned self government, and. and my uncle was telling me about my grandfather. Now, this is a story that I was told. Uh, he was the youngest uh, son of my grandfather's. My father was the oldest. And uh, he was tell- trying to bring history up, bring up to date in history. So what happened, he told me about grandfather was interviewed by Luralene Wallace, which was the governor of uh, Alabama. And it's in the archives in Alabama. He said that Grandpa Lewis used to be the sheriff, or, or policeman, rather. And people used to get in trouble uh, just to get in jail to taste her uh, apple, uh, beef stew and apple pie. And I thought that was real good. So he said it was in the archives in Birmingham, Alabama. And he said, I look at it, and I've been several times to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm it's closed on the day I was there, and I wasn't able to get that information. But one day, I planned to go down one gram and seek that information. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, your great-grandfather was the police officer. Yeah. And your great-grandmother, she was the cook. Cook. And so folks would want to go to jail just to eat her food. Food. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I uh, was talking recently to the current mayor uh-huh. of, of Hobson City. Uh-huh. She was telling me, uh, and then, you know, of course, I look, was looking it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I understood was that, like you said, this quarter, I think it was called Maury Quarter, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was a part of Oxford. Yeah. But they, in that area, black folks voted. Yeah. And they had a strong block. Yeah. So they voted in a black justice of the peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, I guess the mayor of Oxford said he wasn't having that, went mm-hmm. to the state mm-hmm. and had it kind of de annex, yeah. you know, take that part out of Oxford. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then it became. Hobson you know, City. Hobson City. Mm-hmm. Governed by, by black people. Black people, mm-hmm. black people live there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, which is a, it's a, just a great story. Mm-hmm. So you have this, your family, you know, mm-hmm. co-found a, a whole city. And then you leave. Now, you left Alabama, what, like your senior year of high school where you joined the Army? Senior high school, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, how was that? Is this well, World War II or? World War II. Okay. Uh, what happened, I, I wanted to go in at 17 years old, but my mother wouldn't have had no way of signing me for that. She yeah, didn't to go. she didn't want you to go. So when I got 18, I joined them. I tried to go in each one of them. I tried to go Marines, the Navy, the Coast Guard, and finally the Army accepted me. And I went in the Army, and I had not finished the uh uh, 12th grade, so I had to come back and finish. But uh, I, I, I went in, I stayed three years, and I got a chance to go half around the world before I was 21 years old. How was that for a kid from Alabama? Uh, different altogether. It was it was an education. I think if any young man undecided what he wanted to do in his life, he should take an army uh, tour. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been out of Alabama well, since I was young, but but uh, I, I was about eight years old because when I was younger, uh, how I got back to Alabama, my father and mother left when they got married and went to Chicago. And they lived at 4828 St. Lawrence in Chicago. You still remember it. And then they went back to Alabama. Well, what happened, they went back to Florida because my, my, her mother... Uh, which is my grandmother. Uh, she had a home in Alabama, and she lived by herself. And so, and so she had a sister live in Jacksonville, Florida. And he worked on the railroad. He worked on the railroad, seaboard railroad, and it runs from Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, to uh, to Chicago every other day. And she told him, she said, "When you go back to Chicago, you bring Willie back." And so. My uh, uncle, he was a real fair guy. He's, he looks something like an Indian. He probably looked like part white, you know. And all these years, uh, they had a rumor out that a white man come and got my mother and took her back to Alabama. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> and so my my uncle, he lived in, uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. So he took us back to Florida, and we took a bus from... Jacksonville to back to Anniston, Alabama, was Hopson City at that time, and uh, that's where he lived for many years. What happened over the years? Uh, I, I got a chance to eat my great great grandfather. My great grandfather he lived in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, and he came home. Uh, he told my mother, told my grandmother that he wanted to come home to die, and so he came home with striped pants and and high hat, high top hat, and like a tuxedo, like you know, and uh, and we waited for him to come. It took him several days to come because he had a he came on a, he traveled in a one horse buggy, and the horse buggy was slow walking, you know, and so. One day, me and my sister was playing in the yard. We seen him coming. We ran, jumped up and down, and so happy to see him. So we went to call, went in the house and told my grandmother and mother, and they come out and seen him coming up the street, you know. The horse was so tired, he was real slow coming up the street, you know. And so when we got there, we were so amazed at the horse, you know. Right. And, and so we looked at the horse all that afternoon, and next morning, we went to bed and got up. That horse was gone. The horse and buggy was gone. We wondered, what happened to the horse and buggy? And uh, and so what happened? Uh, he had sold it. He told us he had sold it. And so 
about three or four days, a lot of activities going around the house. We had a lot of uh, relatives coming from Florida, and, and my mother's sister, she lived in Chicago. She came to Chicago, and uh, we all had a lot of family. And this little shotgun house, it had three bedrooms, a kitchen, and a living room. And I don't know how all these people stayed in that one little house, wow. <laughs> little shotgun house. And so, but in in the yard, we had a big old tree, oak tree in the center of the yard. And the center of the yard was, uh, we had one, one corner, uh, she sold, uh, I mean, she had chickens in one side, she had a garden. And then the center of the house was like a recreation area and had a big old, a big old oak tree. And they had a great big picnic table. And so everybody was getting together. They preparing to have a feast, you know, in the big picnic table. And so what happened? Uh, uh, one day, that day, particular day, we started out. My grandmother asked me, "William, come on out and help me." I said, "Do what?" She said, "Go in the kitchen, catch the chickens." And I run and get the chicken, him up in the corner, bring it back. She hold the head and the tail, and she said, "No." This is quite not enough. Get that one right there. And I run the corner and hit him up and get that one. And then she said, no, this, this won't make it yet. So I run and get three chickens. And she would she would uh, wring the heads off, hold by the head and tail, wring them up and put them on the tub, and they'd be jumping them down, you know. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, God. And I walk away. And so after a while, I see him pull the feathers off the chicken. And then on the other end of the the, the uh the yard, uh, my uncle, he had, they had a possum, and they had this possum, you know, and my uncle had him by the tail and head, and they put this stick across his neck and pulled him to broke his neck, and they skinned this possum, and and I didn't see him all until he was on this table, his four legs sticking up, and they had sweet potatoes and gravy and onions in him. <laughs> and I ended up, so, you know, they all get a real praying, praying family. And what happened, uh, we all got around, circled and said grace, you know. And I, I kind of wandered away. And uh, and so uh, my, my mother and my grandma said, come on, William, we got to eat, come on. I said, no, nah, Grandma, I'm not hungry. I couldn't eat. I seen them chickens kill. Right. And I seen that possum kill. I couldn't eat none of that food. I only eat pie and cake. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, all right. So let's talk. You joined the Army, mm -hmm. senior in high school, mm -hmm. spent three years. Mm -hmm. um, so you're seeing a whole Mm. environment that you hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're you're expanded your mm -hmm. experiences mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Then you come back. Did you come back to Hobson City from yeah, the army? Yeah, I, I came back and I come back to Anderson and I went to high school. They had a veteran high school and they had an acceleration program. I was able to go to there and finish my uh, go to twelfth grade. And when I when I finished the twelfth grade I did it earlier than we supposed to. And what happened, I applied for different schools, like University of Minnesota. I, I, I was an engineering outfit too, as an Army. That's why I wanted to be an engineer. And uh, I applied for different schools, like uh, Fisk University, uh, Tennessee State, University of Wisconsin, uh, uh, Minnesota, because I had a teacher that taught at 
Well, she went to school in Minnesota. And so Minnesota, the first one, turned me down. And I told my mother, the first one accept me, and I applied for Marquette. So Marquette uh, accepted me. So I came in in August 1950, and I came in. It was called Milwaukee Road. I arrived at Milwaukee Road. And I asked them, the receptionist said, how did I get to Marquette University? She said, well, are you a pre-student? I says, yes. She said, well, she said, school don't open to the 15th of September. She said, well, where? I said, oh, where am I going to stay? So she said, I'll find you a place. So she drove, she, she said, where we have people that uh, help students like you? And so she drew me out a map uh, where to go. And it was on 4th in Michigan. And I had to go walk to 2800 block on 5th Street. And I, I just followed him up and I I went to this lady's house and he was she was a old lady from uh Bad Rivers, Louisiana. And uh and she came, she didn't open the door. I rang the door when she came to the door and uh she just she talked to me through the screen door and she's and she's she she I really understand her accent. She said, Yes. I said, uh I'm, who are you? And I told her who I am. I told her who sent me, you know. And she asked me all about my family, asked where did I come from and who was my mother, my father, and all this stuff, you know. And then she, and she opened the screen door and let me in. And she sat on the sofa, right beside her, and she said, well, she said, William, uh, I don't cook. Uh-huh. And she said, now, you may get a meal about Friday and maybe Sunday, but don't don't count on it. And she said, I'll show you how to get a meal ticket. And you can eat twice a day on that. And she said, uh, and she said, I got a room for you now. It's $6 a week. And she said, don't make up your bed on Friday. And she said, I'm going to clean the room up every Friday. And, oh, wow. and so that's what I did. And so what happened? Uh, she said, uh, now you can get downtown. The, the 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 ticket that costs fifty cents and you can ride all over the city and transfer anywhere you want to go, and uh, so I I got to that point, and uh, and and then I was able to travel around. Okay, like okay. I want to. Very mm. cool. All right, mm. we're gonna take a quick break. We're mm. gonna come back and we're gonna talk about um, uh, you were involved in a lawsuit that affected a lot of people's lives. Mm. So stay with us. You're listening to the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Eva Marie smoked 12,000 packs of cigarettes over 15 years. She quit, and now there's a new lung cancer screening that could save her life. You stopped smoking, now start screening. No matter how much you smoked, early detection could save you. Talk to your doctor or learn more at savedbythescan.org. I wonder if you know that I want the best for you. But how long will you fight solo? I wonder if you know that we can get help. I'm not wondering anymore. Love.
Welcome back to the 411 Live. I am talking with William Waddleton, 95 years young. <laughs> you know, we uh, we were previously talking about, you know, you, where you grew up, and we talked about you going to Marquette. Now, we're going to jump a little bit ahead mm. and talk about um, your time at Laddish. Because mm. you got in Laddish, you're working there, mm. and you noticed some disparities. Mm. What did you see? I happened to get to Laddish. Uh, my brother's uh, father-in-law was working there. I was looking for a job, and I had applied for the fire department. Nobody had called me, and I needed a job. So I had gotten married. I didn't finish school. I didn't finish Marquette either. And, but I had a lot of experience in my working as a student at Marquette. And then I got a job at Laddish. Now, me and my friend, uh, Edward Thomas, uh, we, uh, we, 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 we took the test at the same time and he got, he got, uh, he got called before I did. And so what he did, I went to Laddish and in two days I made more money than he did and he worked for four months. So, so tell me uh, what, what happened when you saw the pay? Atlantis. I walked around and seen a lot of people, uh, young guys, and they were making three hundred dollars a week, and and I learned how some of the guy, the white guy, was making eleven, twelve hundred dollars a week, and eighteen hundred dollars a week. And I couldn't figure it out. How come they were making so much and they doing the same kind of job? Right. And so what happened? I went around and talked to several guys. I said, "Man, you know how much they got." I said, point it out. I said, you know how much that guy made? That guy made more money than you do, about three times as much money than you he do. I said, look, I said, you know what, man, we should do something about that. So I kept talking to different guys. And so after I got the guys together, I uh, got a number of guys together. And I told them to meet me at the YMCA on 12th Street. We went to we went to 12th Street, so I talked to all of them. I told them about some of the things, a lot of things they didn't know. And so I had found it out. So I had went to... Uh, Another lawyer, uh, Dr. Dale, he was a civil rights lawyer downtown. He told me a lot of things. Then, and then I, we had another meeting, and I, I got all the guys together. And there were 257 guys at Laddish. And I was able to get 127 of them together. Oh, wow. Half of them didn't believe what we were going to do. And, you know... Some of you know, like some of the skeptics in doubt about they were going to lose their home if they sued the company and all this stuff. And so what happened, uh, uh, we, I got an attorney downtown. He was with the uh, civil rights thing. And he was leaving and going to somewhere to teach somewhere in uh, Tennessee or somewhere. And what happened, he told me about these three attorneys. So I looked for three attorneys. One in California, one in, in Washington D.C., and one in, in North Carolina. And so, the first one I wrote is uh, in uh, California. He told me it's going to be quite expensive, and he wouldn't be able. To, I don't think we'd be able to do that. So, the next one told me the same thing in Washington D.C. So, I talked to the guy. I just got a letter from the guy in uh, North Carolina. He had won 29 cases out of 30 cases in the Supreme Court of uh, North Carolina. So you got that guy? I got that guy. Okay. And so what happened? He told me, he said, you sound like you got an interesting case. So he told me that he was meeting the, 
the, the mayor of Gary, Indiana, and we had our meeting in Chicago. And so I had talked to all the guys, and we had took up some money already. We had we kept the money in, in, uh, in deposit, bank okay. deposit. Okay. We just took the savings. We just took the interest money and paid our bills off. Wow. Okay. And, I'm going to push you forward because we're about to run out of time. But you, this case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. We we uh, we first went after 27. We had 127 people. So we went to court to trial. I, I formed a committee where we had nine people, uh, and, and, and we voted that way. And, and so six of them voted not to go to trial. So we had to settle out of court. We settled out of court. And, uh, and, and, and so what happened, the, uh, the, the judge said, we got a good case and we won. But that's the way they want to go. But he said, you got to settle with the other 127 people. So we had to go back and reformulate uh, the kind of things we settled with to be fair. And so we did. And so what happened, uh, uh, it was seven unions at the at this company. And uh, and so all of them going to settle except one. And this one didn't want to go. And so what happened... Uh, they appealed it, and they went to they went to district federal court in uh, in Illinois, and they we, they uh, we won that case, and they went to Supreme Court. Supreme Court here, and they said he, they're right, so we won. Supreme Court gave us the right to go. That's okay. how we won Supreme Court, okay. and it's it's in the archives. You can look up uh, Wilton versus Laddish. Uh, and you can find all the information about that. So the outcome was the pay was equal. No, well, the pay the pay uh, the pay wasn't equal. But what happened? They was able to get in some of the unions that they weren't able to get in, and they was able to get the kind of money they get. Gotcha. gotcha. And and we're able to transfer about five people. It took us fourteen years to do that. And after 14 years, uh, a lot of jobs had disappeared a little bit. But see, some of them still were able to get in there. We got we got the electricians, uh, two of the dye makers, and and uh, heat treat, and different kind of chemical things. They, 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 they people were able to train to do the job without going to college. Wow! What gave you the courage to pursue that? Well. I don't know. I I always been civil minded, you know. When I was in Alabama, uh, when I was going to veteran school, uh, I never did like certain things that go around. And uh, and I was in his classroom one time, and this guy come around. He said, "Running for mayor." He had a big hat, big brown hat on, big hat, and he said, "Running for mayor." And I uh, and I was by Waddleton, you know. We said by alphabet. I sit in the back room, and he said, uh, and I got up. I said, I, I got up and I asked him, what could he do for us? He said, well, I'm gonna, we gonna have the lights turn on in the park where he could play late at night. I said, how that's gonna help us? And boy, Eric, I said, man, what you talk to this guy? Don't talk to that guy like that. I said, well, he asked me. I say well, he he can't do nothing for us, you know. I say he's telling us that. So so what I did, I I went around the classroom, and I asked him uh, each teacher. Well, I had I think it was about nine classrooms, and I went around each classroom uh, and talked to each teacher and I asked him would they uh, 
uh, we're going to vote. I said, can we go in a vote in a circle, I mean, a group? And we went in a long line of all veterans. And we went to march to the nearest fire station where we voted in our precinct. And, and, and everybody was in, in the and the cars would come by honking the horn, and they didn't know what to honk about. So one guy come by, and he said, uh, hey, "What?" He, he said, "He said, he said the word niggas." He said, "What them niggas lining for?" He said, "Going to vote." He said, "They veterans." He said, "Well, don't mess with them." Ah, don't mess with the veterans, <laughs> right? When you think of you know today, when mm-hmm. you have people who won't vote, mm-hmm. what do you think of that? I think it's an awful thing because you know. I remember people were just shot down because uh, they going to register to vote. And some people that uh, were not able to vote, a lot of guys died not being able to register to vote. Yeah. And see, you know, a long time ago, uh, I know in Alabama, uh, you couldn't vote unless you had paid poll tax. Yep. And you had to own property to pay poll tax. And uh, you couldn't vote. And when I come to Milwaukee, uh, I made sure I registered to vote and everything, you know. And uh, and a lot of things I didn't like, too. Uh, I, I didn't like, uh, uh, you know, we couldn't go certain places. You couldn't, you couldn't buy a house somewhere. And I went with Father Graffi to, uh, I, I talked to Father Graffi, and I went to Father Graffi, Marshal Father Graffi, over that 16 track Vardock. And I had two kids, two young kids, and we walked halfway over there, and we couldn't go across 16th Street Vardock. Right. And and uh, and I, I didn't, I, you know, and my mother and all of them told me, uh, don't take the kids, don't take a chance the kids. So I didn't go no more. That was the open housing market. Open housing yeah. market. Uh, okay. They would let you couldn't go to certain places in the city. So the bottom line is, folks need to exercise their rights. That yeah. They have. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, we've run out of time. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I told you it was going to go really fast, and yeah, it really did. Yeah. Um, you're 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 a dream. I mean, you have many stories to tell. You've lived a. Uh, a great life. Yeah. And there are so many things that we didn't touch on that mm-hmm. we could have. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for coming in and talking thank with you, us. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. I hope it was any fun with you. It was. Oh, it yeah. was. My guest, yeah. 95 year old <laughs> Mr. William Waddleton. Thank yeah. you again. And thank you for joining us for another episode. Remember, we are a nonprofit organization. So if you feel so inclined, go to our website, the411live.org, and you can help us out. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.